Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. I want to introduce our guest. Um, Yvette always tells me, you always preach a sermon before you preach the sermon. And that's what a preacher does. He's preaching the whole time. So here I'm filled with joy at the highest level because we have a visitation of a dear and precious pastor in the Lord. Pastor Steve Chavez, his wife and Bonnie are in the house here this morning. They pastor a church. Amen. Big, big celebration. And... and. They pastor a church called Praise Assembly of God in Pueblo, Colorado. Uh, we had the honor to be there in March of 2022, and, and they invited us to do a men's conference. And, and how precious was that time that we spent? I, I think we took 18 of the men that were here. They accompanied me. Um, and, and they were part of that conference, and we were able to join. There's, there's, I, I don't know the number, but there was a, a great numerous amount in their beautiful sanctuary there in Pueblo, Colorado. Um, as you travel to places, you meet different dynamics and, and different uh, climates. And, and so you, you fly into Colorado Springs and the beautiful snow-capped mountains, and then you drive across and you go into Pueblo. Um, and, and then we had that conference for two days, and then we preached on Sunday morning, which was also a treat. Um, but every time we travel, we try to figure out who are the men that are leading these assemblies, wherever we go, congregations, movements of God. And I could tell you that, that our hearts immediately lined up to Pastor Steve um, and then intend to meet his testimony and how he was developed and sculptured and shapened uh, into the man of God he is. Um, he'll, he'll explain that a little bit more. Uh, we always judge a man's ministry by the caliber of the woman God has given him. So that's, that's, our, that's the way we our algorithms and our measurements are. And when we met Bonnie also, um, I, I told her, Bonnie, your whole life was shaped around gifting you to Pastor Steve so you could help him with his ministry. And um, she's a joy and she's, she's so special to us. We, we spent the last two days together, fellowship even more. We fellowshiped over there in Pueblo, Colorado while we visited. Um, but, but one of the things I can say and that describes this relationship there in 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe it's verse, let me find it real quick. I used to read a verse as a young, single teenager, um, and it gave me a lot of encouragement. And it's found in 1 Peter um, chapter 5, verse 9. 1 Peter 5, 9. 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that the devil's looking to devour you, right? That's 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, uh, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the, uh, the, the opponent, the devil is like a roaring lion and he's seeking who will give him an opportunity to devour. If, if you're not careful, the devil will come in and just plummet and demolish your life. And then the next verse was the verse I always read and it says, resist him steadfastly. That means hold yourself strong in faith, knowing 
the same suffering. This is the verse that I would always read as a single young man that gave me a lot of courage, knowing that the suffering is being experienced by brothers in the faith all over the world. And so the, the, the God was telling me, Joaquin, just bear it and grim it because you're not the only one going through trials. There's people all over the world that are going through the same trials. Well, guess what? 40 years later, I meet one of my brothers in the faith, and he has gone through the same suffering I have gone through in my life and in the pastorate and, and shepherding. So nobody knows that, but it's, it's, it's soothing to know that you're not the only one going through trouble. So in this verse, I can tell you that Pastor Steve's life, as I hear about it and his testimony, he's lived in Pueblo, Colorado his whole life, and he has a testimony about being a man of God. And then he becomes a pastor, and everybody in town, tremendous respect and honor. I think at one point we went to a, we were there at the conference, and we broke for lunch, and he took us to a cafeteria. Guess what happened? And somebody across the hall or even the people that work there that says, Pastor Steve, we're not going to charge you. You're, you and your guests are our guests. And they paid for our meal. So that, that speaks volumes of, of his testimony in that town. Um, they have three boys. Two of them are police officers. And one of them, the youngest one, is, is uh, preparing to become a pilot. Um, and also the, the, the offspring speaks largely about the fathers. So his three boys... Uh, they're all champions. They're, they're serving the Lord. They love God. They honor their parents. So it's for us a great joy and high, high esteem and honor. Um, he called me a couple of, of, I think a month ago. He says, I'm going to be in Miami for some training uh, with the Assemblies of God. And we want to go earlier before our training to spend time with you. So they have come earlier to spend time with us. Let's welcome Pastor Steve Chavez from Assembly Praise in Pueblo, Colorado. Thank you, Pastor. Hallelujah. Yeah, you're welcome to be seated. Good morning, everybody. My goodness, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? I have to tell you that Bonnie and I have so enjoyed spending time with Dr. Molina and his precious wife, Yvette. And uh, over the last couple of days, we've been able to take a look at where you live, and we want to come here with you. <laughs> I looked at my uh, iPad just a moment ago. It was 28 degrees in Pueblo. And by the way, I've never been to Bora Bora either, <laughs> but I've been to Pueblo Pueblo. <laughs> do me a favor, everybody look at your neighbor and keep your eyes on them. Will you do it, please? And don't, don't remove your eyes. Repeat after me. I'm so glad. I don't look like you. I don't know why people laugh when they say that. I got to tell you, I'm a little bit intimidated this morning to speak here. I preach a lot of places. I've preached across the country in the Assemblies of God for camps and conventions. But as we had uh, Pastor Molina and many men from here in Pueblo... Uh, we thoroughly enjoyed having them there and listening to Pastor Moline, I said, oh boy, don't ask me to preach there. They have you. Why would they ever want to hear me? And uh, I thought to myself, this is a big assignment and uh, I feel with God's help, I'm going to be okay. I, I want to tell you that uh, we have a beautiful family. Pastor Molina mentioned a little bit about that. I want to show you a couple pictures. Can I do that? 
I have about 400 pictures that we're going to go through. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is uh, my son, Taryn. He is 23 years old, and he is studying to be a pilot. He yes. is in Arlington, Texas. And uh, my friends, he is single. Ladies, he is single. And he loves warm weather. And he's been raised well. And we are taking resumes. You can see Bonnie. Uh, we have another picture here. Of, that's our dog. That's Brom. And he's a Weimariner. And uh, he is Bonnie's pride and joy outside of our boys. We have another picture here that I'm going to show you. Take a look at that. We are grandparents. That is Avery Grace. My son Stephen married a beautiful, beautiful girl named Catherine. And uh, she graduated. She's from California, graduated from the university in Pueblo. And uh, they brought Avery to us, and we are thrilled. We'll take a look at the next pictures. By the way, she's a year and a half. Here is a group picture we took for Thanksgiving. There's uh, uh, Stephen is right here. He's 31 years old, and he is a detective with Pueblo Sheriff. He's on the SWAT team. He loves what he does. Taryn, on, the, on your far right, you can see him there. There's Catherine, Bonnie, myself. And then there's Jordan. He's 28 years old, and he is a state patrolman. Uh, he actually is on governor detail in the state of Colorado, and he too is single. <laughs> so we have another picture here we're going to show you. Uh, we were at, oh, I shouldn't put this one up, should I? Uh, we were at a Denver Bronco game, and uh, we had a wonderful time there. Next slide. There she is. She wanted to say hi to you, okay? So we put that up there. I think we may have one more, maybe two. There's the three boys together, and I think we'll close right here. Uh, Taryn, uh, 23, 28, and 31. Give my family a hand, would you? Amen. And we love our boys. And I got to tell you that uh, when we had Pastor Molina in Pueblo, it, it was life-changing. Um, this Christmas Eve, we had a big Christmas Eve service, two of them, 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock. And uh, the 3 o'clock was absolutely packed. We have a beautiful worship center, as you do. And uh, as I'm out in the lobby and greeting people as they're coming in for Christmas Eve, there was a young man there, Pastor. He's from Parker, Colorado, about two hours away. And he came in the doors and he said, Pastor, I wanted to come uh, and I wanted to hear you speak, but I wanted to tell you how much Pastor Molina and the What is a Man conference meant to me. And I just want to share with you that uh, this last Christmas in the lobby of Christmas Eve, uh, there was a man that was speaking of your great influence upon his life. And Pastor, you are impacting the world. You really are. Give your pastor, come on, share some love right there. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Would you do that? Okay, now I'm a little bit on the Pentecostal side, so we're going to go ahead and shout. And I know you come from that as well. And uh, you got to help this boy from Colorado. So say amen. amen. Say it again. Amen. amen. Let's preach together. What do you say? Amen. amen. All right. I uh, remember hearing a story about 9-11, and you remember the story as well. And uh, one, the planes would hit the towers, the planes would hit the Pentagon. But there was another plane that was up in the air. And uh, that plane also was going to hit a targeted area. It never did. Uh, what was happening in the plane was that there was a group of men somewhere sitting in that plane. And one man looked and began to talk to the other men that were nearby and said, what are we going to do about this? And there was a man that was in that plane that after talking amongst them, the enemy had already taken the plane over. 
and a man steps up and he says these words, let's roll. And when that man said, let's roll, there was a collective body of men and women that stood up and they went right into the hands of the enemy and they gave their lives and they were killed with, with uh, butch cutters and all that stuff. And they were taken. And then one of the stewardesses, even a female, stood up and she went after them with whatever utensil she had in the plane. And I believe that we're living in that kind of a day, even right now, where the church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up. Somebody help me. Yes. The church of Christ. And we need men that are standing up. And I know that I'm talking to the choir because you hear that each and every week. But if ever there was a time for the church to let's roll, I believe it right now. Say it with me. Let's roll. Let's I believe that we have to look each other in the eyes and say, I don't want to play church, I don't want to play religion, but I want to have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. One that is real, one that is alive, one that is in revival. And I ask myself the question, coming to speak to you, what would I ever say to you folks? And what it is that you would ever be able to draw from me, would you ever be able to? And I think if there is anything, I would say that if I could impart anything into your life while I am here over the next couple of hours, I would say that I believe that Christ is looking for that final harvest. And God has put in my life a desire to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people will be saved. In the city of Pueblo, we have a beautiful city, about 130,000. Many, many people struggle in our city, and it's a difficult place to live at times. And there's a lot of crime, and there's a lot of hate, and a lot of violence, and a lot of evil. But my friend, I got to tell you, in funerals that I am leading, I am seeing people come to Jesus like I have never seen in all of my ministry. I did a funeral just the other day. There was about 35 people. It was at a funeral home, not a big funeral. No, no, really, anybody important was there, but 35 people were there. And I preached the gospel, as I'm going to do here in just a moment. And out of that 35, 28 of them would have raised their hand to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And my friend, I got to tell you that I believe that God is sweeping this country with the spirit of revival. God wants people to be saved. And I want to ask you a question, and I'll do that at the end of this message. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him? Has God changed you? Has he saved you? You know, we've been in Pueblo, as Pastor said, all, all of our life. And Bonnie was born in Denver, but three days later, she came down to Pueblo and she lived there and uh, during my time of ministry, we served as nine years as a youth pastor. Oh, friend, I got to tell you, we watch God do something. And I know there's a lot of young people in this room. And during our years of youth ministry, when Bonnie and I started, I, I think we see this story different. She sees about 28 kids. I remember 18 kids when we started. That's all we had. And I had never preached a sermon before. I didn't have a library Brother Wilson, Pastor Wilson, hired me just because he knew my love for Christ. And I stepped into this youth ministry, and I looked at those young people on the very first night, and I said, what do you want to do? And not a one of them said a word, and you could see rebellion over the lives of all of those young kids in that circle. And I didn't know how to lead a service. I didn't play guitar, didn't play piano, I didn't know how to sing. But I knew that for the next hour and a half that I was going to be leading these kids. And I didn't know what to do. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you don't know what to do? And I looked at them and I said, what do you want to do? And I, I looked at those kids and I said, I double dog dare you to double this group and bring, bring friends. And it wasn't long. By the next service we came together, there was 40 and then there was 80. And during our time of nine years of youth ministry... We watched a group from 18 
develop into a group of 600 to 800 kids on a weekly basis. And we had no tricks, we had no gimmicks. The only thing we had was the Bible and the Word of God. And we would preach the gospel. And there were times when we would do, do services and we would do a special event and we would have 2,000 young people that would come to an event. No fancy bands. It was just kids doing a drama or a skit and then me preaching the gospel as I'm going to do here this morning. And we would see people come to Christ. And I just want to say over you today that if you'll trust the Lord, I, I believe that God will fully he will fully do, do things that will blow your mind. I want to title this message this morning, Shake Up Your Prayer Life. What do you say? And uh, maybe God will do that as you step into the Daniel fast, that God will begin to shake things up in your life. And uh, I need him to do that in my life as well. My friend, we all have a need today. I don't know why you're here. Some of you might have said somebody invited me. You might be here today to make fun of this service. I don't know why you're here. But I know that we all have a need. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to God and to become part of his family. God wants you to become part of his family. But one of the insurmountable barriers that stands in the way of every one of us is a thing called sin. And sin will separate you from God. Have you ever walked into a meeting like this and feel like, you know, it seems like everybody connects, but I don't. It seems like everybody can raise their hands to the Lord, and I wonder why I can't. You see, sin will stand in the way of you coming to God. And what sin really does is that sin separates us from God, and it brings us one day ultimately under his judgment. And no matter how hard we try, you cannot erase your sins. You can buy the finest cologne and it will not cover your sin. You can have the best car in Miami and there's a lot of nice ones. We've seen them. But my friend, a nice vehicle will not separate you from sin. The truth is, only God can take away sin. Him and Him alone. And He made it possible by sending His only Son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die so that you and I can live. But all of our sins were put on the cross of Christ as he walked down Golgotha's path. And the Bible says that God came so that you and I can live. My friends, on this generation's watch, we have witnessed the speediest, greatest moral collapse in America's history, in this nation's history. And over the last 40 years, illegitimate births have increased over 300%. Crime has risen exponentially. Marriage has become an endangered institution with one out of every two ending in divorce. We are living in a critical time, a time when the world must come back and say, who is God and what does God want with me? The homosexual agenda succeeds rapidly. Promiscuity spreads incalculably in the world that you and I live in. The content of television and a host of other societal ills bear witness that this nation is morally imploding right before our own eyes. In the place where I live, we are watching all of hell break loose over the lives of so many people. And the only hope for America is in the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout amen. 
It's the only hope we have. I wish that money could fix it, but only Christ can. If we have been praying, then we have certainly, we haven't stopped it through our own prayer, much less even turn the tide on what the devil is doing. How odd that Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But yet, where is the power of God? Where is Jesus? Where's the blood of Christ? Where's the hope and where's the revival? I open my Bible and I look at the book of Ezekiel chapter number 37 and in verse number 12 I have always leaned into that verse where the Bible says that I will open your graves. I believe that God is going to open the grave over America and that life is going to come and I believe that within this body of Jesus Christ right here in Miami that God is going to bring revival that we have never seen before. And I say oh God bring it. My friend, worse yet, spiritual anemia fares no better among Christians. Listen, listen to some of these statistics, and they're old, but I think that they're true. In surveys done by George Barna in 1997, he polled attitudes, beliefs, opinions, and even lifestyles of those who claimed to be Christians and those who did not claim to be Christians. In 59 of 66 categories, there was no significant statistical difference between the two. In other words, what Barna was finding is that oftentimes people in the church, people in the world, they act the same way and they do the same thing. But God is calling you and I to live a life that is sanctified, a life that comes out of the darkness and lives in the light of Jesus. And my friend, that doesn't come easy. You have to commit your life and your time and you've got to never stop learning when it comes to Jesus. I have a Master of Arts degree in expository preaching. And I love to preach the Bible. And I'm currently enrolled in a Master of Divinity right now. And my friend, i got to tell you, at my age, 39, how about that? Well, not really. But at my age, I am struggling in writing papers and, and doing all the assignments, but I've committed in my own life that I'm never going to stop growing. I always want to learn. Sometimes in the house of God, you walk into a place like this and said, I've seen this song before. I know the dance. I know how it works. I'm just going to sit and relax. God says to roll your sleeves up and to dig in. Men, he says to roll your sleeves up. Let's roll and then dig in. Part of my role in Pueblo has been in ministry, really since I, I was a young man, I've been involved in ministry and pastoring now for 31 years, that's a long time. And in that process, uh, we developed a new college football program in our city. And over the last 13 to 15 years, I have served as a chaplain. Somebody asked me, where do you find the time? The church is a big church in Pueblo, how do you find the time? I said, because kids need Jesus Christ. And I enrolled as a chaplain, and the head coach actually went to high school with me, and then he would coach at UCLA and major Division I football, and the program that we have is a D2 program. And we won the national championship in 2014, and I was with our team and at the college level when we won that big game. My friend, i got to tell you something, that God, I've watched God do amazing things with athletes, with men that have come to know Jesus Christ, and I've married many of those young players that have now grown up. And I've been a part of ceremonies where they come together in a, in a union with their wife, and it's beautiful. And in that process of time, 
I remember one day I was sitting in my office, the phone rings, secretary patches in. She said, Pastor Steve, it's the Denver Broncos on line one. Would you please take the call? I pick up the phone and I thought it was my friends jacking around. Come on, somebody. And I thought they were just messing with me because they know how much I love the game. And I pick it up and I answer the phone and they say, is this Pastor Steve? I said, yes, it is. This is so-and-so from the Denver Broncos. We would like to ask that you would come and speak chapel for our organization. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Who, who's messing with me here? And when I found out that it was a true call, I've been to Bronco chapels multiple times. And the last one that I spoke was Peyton Manning's final year. And I'm sitting at chapel and Peyton Manning walks in. I was fine until he walked in. All the players were in there. And then here walks Mr. Manning, and he comes and he sits on the second row. He's got a study Bible and a notepad and a pen. And I'd learned something about him that day, that it's more than X's and O's, it's more than football. There's got to be something more. And Mr. Manning comes and he opens his Bible, and I deliver a message, just like I'm going to do in a few moments to you. When it was all said and done, Mr. Manning comes forward to the podium just like this, and he said, Pastor Steve, thank you so much, sir for coming to Denver and for being our guest today. And I shook hands with him, and then I had a conversation that I won't bore you with, but it was me and him talking about Jesus Christ. I learned something that day, that as big as he is in the game of football, he is as bankrupt as anybody else in life. And unless you have Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing. But when you have Jesus, you have absolutely everything when you have Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today, do you have Jesus? This message that I'm going to speak and I'm going to get through and I'm going to move through these points, I want to ask that every young man and every young lady that is here, if you don't have a pen, look at a neighbor and say, I need to borrow a pen. Would you get me a pen? And I want you to write down six things. And I want to talk to you today about six foundations that you can build your life on. Do you have a pen? Six foundations. I've got a good friend of mine. He's a mentor, and uh, he's a, an author of leadership books galore. And I spend time with him oftentimes. His name is Brett Allen. He's out of Northern Cal. He's actually the superintendent of a district out there. And I came into a meeting one day, and, and Brett looked at me, and he says, Boy, I'm sorry you didn't come prepared. And I had my backpack, and I, I was sitting there. I'm like, What are you talking about, Brett? He said, I'm sorry that you're not prepared for this meeting. I said, that's kind of that's rude. I'm here and I'm on time. What's your problem? Are you upset? He said, no, I just noticed that you don't have a pen in your hand. I reached in my bag and I grabbed a pen and I said, here, I guess I'm prepared. But you know, every one of us, we need somebody in our life that is going to speak to us in that manner and say, I want to be prepared and when you listen to Pastor Molina preach a message in here, and when you don't have anything to write down, don't rely on your memory because you're going to forget the sermon by the time the game's at halftime. But when you write it down and you have it on paper, I've told my boys the entire time when they were growing up, don't sit in the back, sit in the front. And I modeled that in my life. When I went away to college and to seminary, I would sit in the front row because I knew that the back row, I would do what I was prone to do, and that was mess around. And when I speak to young people, oftentimes, there's no games. My friend, it's a, it's a war out there. 
And the only way that you're going to make it is when you dial in to Jesus Christ. And these six truths that I want to give you, number one, they're foundations. Foundation number one, write this down. You must develop a God-centered relationship. In my notes, it says you'll say amen right there. Develop a God-centered relationship. I'm going to go through a number of scriptures, and you can write down the references, and then you can study them later. In the book of Acts, chapter number 2 and verse 42, the Bible says, and they devoted. Everybody in the house say devoted. I can't hear you. Devoted. And the Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And as a student of the Bible, I begin to look at verbs. Let me help you in your Bible study for just a minute. Always look to those verbs. And circle the verbs in the word of God. And the Bible says, and they devoted themselves. And I begin to ask myself the question as a student of the Bible, not a preacher, but a student, what does it mean that they devoted themselves? And I found that the word devoted means that they attached themselves to. For every young person in the house, if you attach yourself to a knucklehead, you will become a knucklehead. And if you attach yourself to someone that doesn't know where they're going, you will live your life in a direction where you don't know where you're going. And the Bible says that they attached themselves and that they were faithful to. Come in close for just a minute. What are you faithful to? Who are you faithful to? And that word devoted, it means to be strong. There's a lot of weakness in society today. A lot of people that don't have a backbone a lot of people that quit way too easy. Can't tell you how many times in my office where the door opens and it's another couple, it's another married couple, and they're coming in saying, we want to quit, we want to get divorced, we want to walk away from each other. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that they were devoted. They were committed. They were strong and they were steadfast. I think, Pastor, if you remember, he just read a verse to you, and it had the word steadfast in it. Many people serve God, watch this, out of duty and not out of devotion. How do you serve God? Do you serve God? Because if you don't show up, your mom and dad are going to throw a fit. Like a, like, like a lot of people, when I was a little boy, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to every revival meeting. I was drugged to every Wednesday night. I was drugged every Sunday morning, and I was drugged every Sunday night. And my dad looked at me one day, and I was playing outside, and he said, time for Sunday night church. And I looked at dad, because I was getting a little older, and I thought, surely dad's going to give me a, some slack. And I looked at my father, and I said, dad, you know what? I think I'm going to sit out tonight. The guys are going to play some football right here in the block area, and I think I'm just going to stay. My dad looked at me, and he said, that's interesting. You're going to stay here while we go to church. And then he said these words to me as my father. He said, that's not going to happen. He gave me the time that we're going to leave, and he said, make sure you're in the car. And I, I'm thankful today that I had a father like that, that I had a father that just wouldn't take my casual excuse if I think I'm just going to stick this one out. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Consider these stories in the Bible with me, if you will. Why did Elijah believe God would actually drop fire from heaven on a water-soaked sacrifice? Have you ever answered that question? Consider that with me. How was he so confident that God would burn it up even after he said, soak it with water? Let me ask you this question. What made Jesus think that a four-day-old corpse would be able to live again? When you have a God-centered relationship in Christ, God will take you into great places. How would Joshua have had the audacity to ask the sun to stand still for just a minute? Contemplate that. He's in a battle. He says we need more time. And he looks to God and he says, let the sun stand still. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a relationship with God like that? Do you know the Lord to that degree? They could ask the impossible of God because they were so oriented to God that they knew exactly what he was doing and what it meant. Elijah explained before the fire fell that God was turning Israel's heart back to him through the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus declared that prior to the raising of Lazarus that God was going to help those watching so that they could believe. When you look at it this way, you can have such a relationship with Christ that those that are watching you will want to believe. Back home, I go to the gym. I've gotten older, so I certainly don't do what I used to do. But I go to the gym at least four to five times a week. And while I'm in there, there's a lot of guys that are bodybuilders and they're huge and they're massive. And many of them will speak like they're living in the bar. And when they're in my presence, they will always say these words, forgive me, pastor. And I'll look at them and I'll think, my friend, I just, I'm just here working out with you. But when you live your life in Jesus Christ, it'll change the atmosphere around you. And I think it's critical that we understand that. In each of these instances, the men were able to discern the activity, the intent, and the heart of God prior to asking because they knew what God wanted and he did what they asked. In your life, do you know what God wants? What does God want for your life this week, this month? In all likelihood, if you don't have a dynamic prayer meeting this week, you probably won't have one next week. And if you're not in revival right now, you probably won't be in revival in a, in a month. But when you begin to hunger after the Lord and say, I want a God-centered relationship, things will begin to happen. Teaching people to orient their lives to God takes time. Don't ever think that you're going to become a Christian and it's going to be really easy. It's going to be something that you've got to work at with all of your heart and all of your might. To know Christ. The upper room prayer meeting that preceded Pentecost was nestled in the context of three and a half years of the Son of God pouring into the disciples. When I read that upper room prayer meeting, it seems like they just got to it like that. But it took three and a half years of walking with Jesus and seeing him do those miracles. That prayer meeting did not happen seven days after Jesus said to them, follow me, drop your nets and follow me. But rather, after following for three and a half years, it was as though God was saying, now I can trust you to go into another level. 
Can God trust you? Number two, foundation number two, I want you to write this down. Meaningful relationships matter. They really do. There's a great story in the book of Acts, chapter number three, verses five and six. The Bible says that he fixed his attention on them. He was expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Here in the text you see Peter and John in a dynamic relationship that they had with Jesus Christ. And they knew that if God was with them, that all things are possible to them that believe in Christ. And my friend, I want to tell you that meaningful relationships matter. You need a friend, someone that's going to challenge you. Back home, we have a group of men that I work with. They're good friends. Many of them are on staff with me, and many of them just attend the church. But they're men that speak into my life, and I give them permission to do that. Oh, friend, I want to encourage you to have that in your life. In the early church, fervent prayer coursed through the spiritual veins and life-giving intimacy with the Father. When you spend time with Jesus, he gets deep on the inside of you. Beyond intimacy lays power. And that's a question I have today for the church. Where is the power? You probably have asked that too, right? Where's the power? You hear those great stories in the word of God. Where is that? Jesus says it lays right beyond the prayer room. And great power lies with intimacy with Jesus Christ. Prayer did not result merely in drawing closer to God, but in God's power flowing through them. I asked God that as we were flying here. Lord, put people in my life. Put people in my life on an airplane that I could speak to you about. And it's amazing how God will always provide those opportunities when you know that your relationship with him absolutely matters. Dynamic prayer follows dynamic fellowship because we pray best when we love the most. That's true. You pray best when you love the most. Get involved with a group of people and live with them and do life with them and walk with them. Foundation number three, write this down, would you please? Work on your walk with God. That's a principle that I think all of us need to take a look at. How, how, sir, are you working on your walk with the Lord? What are you doing? What did you do last night? How are you saying to the Lord, God, I want, you, I want to know you more, but I need you to teach me how to do that. In Acts chapter 3, verses 19, the Bible says, Repent therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. If I could encourage you anything this week, it would be to begin to carve out time where you begin to work on your relationship with Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 43, the Bible says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I long for that in the house of God, that great awe would come upon the house of the Lord. In other words, that you and I would be sitting here saying, Oh my goodness, what is happening in this room? I've been in those meetings. I've preached in some of those meetings. 
I've been in times in church where nobody wants to leave. In fact, it wasn't long ago on a Sunday morning, one of the pastors walked up and said, nobody wants to go. They all want to stay here. And the altars were full and people were crying out to God. We needed to get them out so that the next people could come in. But nobody wanted to leave. And the Bible says that great awe would come upon the people of God. Can anyone give what he doesn't have, teach what he doesn't know, or lead where he has never been? Young people, listen to me today. You can never lead people where you haven't been. And if you want to lead them to Jesus, then come to know Christ. The great leaders of Scripture and those today have learned how to walk with God. Guiding them in the same process merely flows from teaching them to do what the leader has already done. Solomon recognized this and he pleaded at Gibeon, Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? There's something that I would like to teach you today. Every morning when you wake up, ask God for wisdom and ask God for favor. Let's do it right now. What do you say? Dear Jesus, say it with me. Grant me wisdom and put favor on my life. My friend, when you wake up in the morning and you say, God, today I'm going to need your wisdom. I walk into many meetings, as Pastor Molina does, as a pastor of a large congregation, and I encounter things on a daily basis, and sometimes I ask myself the question, God, why did you put me here, and how am I supposed to know the answers? to many of the questions that come into my office every single day. And my friend, I got to tell you that waking up in the morning and saying, God, grant me wisdom, is one of the most powerful prayers that I've ever prayed. Solomon did not turn to books to give him a five-step how-to program. He turned to God. Solomon didn't say, I need seven quick steps to unveiling the will of the Lord. Solomon turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think in our lives, many times, we turn to other people to bring us satisfaction. And we, bring, and we turn to other people to give us the answer. And God says, why don't you turn to me? Why don't you turn to Christ today? How would your life look differently if you turned to the Lord? Foundation number four, and there's only six. Somebody say amen. amen. Foundation four is keep your heart right with God. Keep your heart right with God. Is your heart right with God right now? Sometimes as good people, and I know that you're good people, you're here because of that. Sometimes as good people, you can let bitterness come in, or even anger, or even hatred. And I want to encourage you to keep your heart right with the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, one of my favorite places in all of the Bible, the Bible says when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I love that passage. I hope you do as well. God has always required a right heart. And all who miss it, miss God. You can develop a spirit problem. I see it sometimes in church and churches where someone is mad at the pastor or a leader in the church 
and your heart becomes wrong with the Lord. And when your heart is wrong with the Lord, you forfeit all of the blessings <coughs> that God wants to bring your way. A Bible reader stumbles across it at the earliest scripture foundations, as early as Cain and Abel. You see the Bible in the book of Genesis, chapter number 4, both brothers present first the first recorded offerings to God. And immediately the Bible comments that God respected Abel and his offering, but God did not respect Cain and his offering. Watch this. Come in close. God respected the offering of one and he disrespected the offering of the other. Does God respect your offering? I want you to notice that God's acceptance or rejection of the offering merely followed his acceptance or rejection of the person. I want to teach this to you. God did not separate his willingness to respond from the condition of the hearts of the one asking. This means that God answers an individual or a church in proportion to how they are walking with him. How are you walking with Christ today? He never differentiates between the thing requested and the one making the request. This is a powerful principle. God doesn't answer prayer, he answers you. And the way that you're walking with works in line with how God answers you. My friend, do we need revival in our nation? Let me ask you that question. Do we? How many of you would raise a hand and say, we need a revival in America? How many of you would answer that and say, oh, we do? Oh, yes, we do. I am insulted every time we turn the, telev the television on in my house and Bonnie and I will sit there and many times we'll either change it or we'll put it on pause or we fast forward it and I'm assaulted by how the devil is attacking the lives of our homes here in America and we need a desperate revival today. Our greatest need is not more men or more money or more methods. The greatest need is for a spiritual revival, a divine infusion of life into the church which declares itself through an inflowing, outflowing, and overflowing of the Holy Ghost. And that's my prayer over you people, is that God would come by the power of his Holy Spirit and he would begin to infuse the people of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't come easy. That's not something in the American gospel that you can just say, God, give it to us like a microwave. 30 seconds and we got revival. God says you got to get on your face. God says you got to get on your knees. God says that you got to cry out to him. But for many of us, we are so busy in life that we don't have time for that. I don't have time to give God any time. The troubled society that we live in is filled oftentimes in the church with tired saints. Have you ever been tired? Now just be honest with me. Have you ever said, I don't think I want to go to church today. I think I want to sleep in. Reminds me of the joke one time. When the pastor wanted to sleep in and his wife tells him, Pastor, you got to get up. You're preaching today. 
But a lot of times people are tired, and maybe you're tired spiritually today. And God says, I want to infuse you with power. Here is how I see the need of revival in our culture. Have you ever been to a ball game and your team appears to be asleep? It appears they are playing but seems to be so ineffective. A church void of the Holy Spirit is like a team asleep on the fields. I've spent a lot of time in my life on a football field and I played college football myself and I've spent a lot of time around coaches and many times I'll hear coaches scream from the sidelines you guys look asleep out there and something happens in the huddle where the players come together and say we're not going to be asleep we're going to wake up and I feel God coming through the word of God even this morning saying to the house of God, it is time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Somebody shout amen. amen. The Bible says in Isaiah 51, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up. O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath who have drunk from the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering. When I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right, and do not go on sinning, the Bible says. Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says, wake up and strengthen what remains and it what is about to die. I have found that your works complete in the sight of my God, remember then what you have received and heard. The Bible is screaming at you and me today to wake up. Foundation number five, write this down, would you please? Fight for unity. Fight to stay together. While the video was being played, that six-minute video of your church that we watched, Bonnie leans over to me and she says, baby, they are so together. And I thought that was a great the, the description of your church and how you guys do life together. And I want to say, listen, that doesn't come easy. And all of hell will come against that. And if you want, if you want unity, you got to fight for unity. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the Bible says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart. That's what they were, one heart. And one soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to him or his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's a beautiful story of that early church, isn't it? Paul dealt with the problem of division in the Corinthian church, but my friend, God desires unity. God is glorified when there's unity in the house of God. The Lord prayed for unity, and brethren are instructed to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. The Bible says that we are to fight for the bond of peace in the house of God. So many times across America you hear of church splits. That's got to be one of the most ungodly sentences that anybody will ever say. Because how could God ever split? It's not God, it's people. But when people come under the umbrella of leadership and they say we're going to fight for the bond of peace, then great things will happen. We must be concerned about unity 
but not unity at any price. Not all unity is pleasing to God, and not all division is wrong. Pastor, what are you saying? Unity in error is worse than division. We want unity, plead for unity, pray for unity, work for unity, but unity upon terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a difference. Foundation number six, write this down. You've got to know your responsibility. When it comes to building your life upon foundation, you have to know what is your responsibility. A great friend of mine who's an author who writes books that you guys perhaps might have even have read, he begins, he begins to tell me privately in a meeting, what's your business, what's not your business, and how's business? And it's principles that he teaches. You've got to know what your business is. And when you find yourself operating in what's not your business, then you are absolutely out of line. What's your business? What's not your business? And then how's business? Sometimes people will get into, the, into another person's responsibility and then things get all messed up. In the book of Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse 14 so that you may no longer be children. For just a minute, take a look at these verses in the Bible. The Bible says that you may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. There is a real devil, and he will throw schemes at your kids, and your grandkids, and he will not stop until Christ gets him out of here. My friend, the Bible says that we are to be childlike, but we are not to be childish. Can I say that again? God is calling you to be childlike in your faith, but not childish. Let's face it, you're either mature or you are immature in the faith. And can I just ask you this morning, are you immature or are you mature in your faith? There are three levels of spiritual immaturity now, and I want to close with these. Three levels of spiritual immaturity. First of all, first of all, there is juvenile behavior, there is constant instability, and there is gullible beliefs. Juvenile behavior, you could be an older man or an older woman and have juvenile behavior and you have to work on that and there's always people in churches that are constantly unstable as a pastor as a shepherd where I live and operate and work I see people that are always wanting to quit and they always want to throw the tell in and they're always unstable in their life and many people are gullible they believe anything and if somebody tells you something, you believe it just because they say it. The Bible tells us in Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming soon, and I am bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I want, I want, to, I want to break this down for you. The Bible says that Christ is coming soon. How many of you know that he's coming soon? In fact, 2023 could be the year that the church is taken up. And that wouldn't be such a bad thing. 
But the Bible says that he's going to bring his recompense with him and he's going to repay you for what you have done. What have you done for Jesus Christ? What have you done? If you know, if you know what God wants, set your sails to the wind of his purpose. I want to close by just telling you a story. When I was seven years old, I was diagnosed with the with a critical bone disease called leg perthes. And I was playing my first year at tackle football. Now, I'm only seven years old. And when I would run, I would limp. And one day I came home from football practice, and my father looks at me and he says, Son, actually he said, Heatho, what's wrong? He said, When all the boys are running, they run, but you run with a limp. I said, Daddy, I don't know. But I know when it runs, when I run, it hurts. And my dad said, well, let's stretch it out and let me rub it down a little bit. And he did. And I'd go to practice and my leg on the right side, on my right hip, it would hurt every time I ran. And they took me to a doctor, a medical doctor, and the doctor said he's going to be a big boy. My father was a very good athlete in the community that we live in. And he went to high school in Pueblo and he was very good, has all the records in rushing and touchdowns. And the doctor looks at my dad and he said, he's going to be a good athlete just like you. And they said, okay, it'll get better. And the season went on, and I kept limping. And then finally, mom and dad said, we need to go to a specialist, and we did. And we went to a specialist, and they brought that x-ray machine down. And I had never seen one of those before, but they put it on my hip, and then they took a picture. And then the doctor walked in, Mr. and Mrs. Chavez, your son has a bone disease called leg perthes. And the doctor in a white jacket, he looks at mom and dad, and he says, when he's older, his right leg is going to be seven inches shorter than his left leg. And I could see the countenance of my Catholic mom and dad, and their eyes dropped. And we went home that day, and it was a sad day in our house. And we woke up that Sunday morning, and mom and dad put the television on. And there was a man by the name of Oral Roberts that was preaching. And the only thing that I remember about Oral Roberts was that he had a really long finger. And he was waving it at the camera like those are cameras. And Oral Roberts was saying, God is going to do something wonderful in your life. And I was only seven years old. And I said, God, I need something wonderful. And my mom and dad, we, they dropped on their knees and they prayed. And that next Sunday, I told you they were strong Catholics, staunch Catholics. And my dad opened up the phone book that next Sunday and he liked the ad of a Southern Baptist church in the, in the yellow pages. You're going to have to help the young folks with what yellow pages are. <laughs> and he, he said, I like that one to my mom. And he said, I like that one right there. And we went that day and we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God loved us. And that Sunday morning, mom and dad walked an altar and they gave their life to Jesus. And that evening, we went back for Sunday night church. We had never known about that. And we went back that Sunday night, and my sisters and I, we met Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I, I want to tell you, it was a beautiful day. And that bone disease was bad, and we would experience that God would bring healing into my body. And mom and dad began to pray, God, heal Stevie. Lord, heal him. We went back to the doctor and we got a review and the first review was horrible. He said the bone disease is spreading. It's going to take the entire hip. It's spreading bad, fast. 
And then about three or four months later, when we went back for a report, the doctor comes in and he looks at my mom and dad and he said, you know, I've been a doctor for a long time and I don't know how to tell you all this. But that black spot, he said, you see this old x-ray three months ago? It's spreading. He said, we just took one of your son's hip today. It's completely gone. It's gone. And I... I want to build your faith as I close this message today. And I want to tell you, the God that we serve is bigger than you think he is. He's bigger than you. I don't know how big you think God is, but he's bigger than that. I don't know. I don't know your theology, and I don't know how you understand scripture. But God is bigger than you think he is. He's bigger. He's a big God. Why don't you build your life on Him? Is your life built on Christ? Every eye open, every head up, look this way. I want to ask you a question. I want to speak to the core of who you really are right now. Not who you would like to be, but who you are. And I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Is there sin in your life? Is there unrepented sin that you have not dealt with? Many men today in America are watching porn and worshiping God. And God says, that's not how I would have it. But somehow you think that you're getting away with it. Bonnie and I, before we came, before we came here, I had a phone call in my house. And a man was caught by his wife for looking at porn. And she looked at him and she said, it's over. I'm not going to live that way. And that man is having a man-to-man -man conversation with me. Pastor, what do I do? I say, number one, you repent and you come to Jesus Christ. And number two, you make it right with your wife. And they're taking steps to do that even right now. I think many times in the house of God, we lie and we think we can get away with it as though God doesn't know you. He knows your thoughts before you even have them. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And for some of you guys, you're making that really easy on him. And me too. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ? Everybody stand with me in this room. Would you do that? I want to ask you to do something that might be uncomfortable for you. Maybe it is. If there's sin in your life, maybe you need to repent of it today and say, I'm going to make it right with the Lord. I'm going to make it right with Jesus. And here's how I want to do it today. I want you to look at a neighbor. Maybe you know him, maybe you don't. And I want to ask this question. I want you to ask each other this question, is there sin in your life? And if the answer to that is yes on either one of you or maybe both of you, then I want to ask that you would come and stand together. You might not even know them. That's okay. Just come this way. Ask the question, is there sin in your life? Go ahead and do it. And if the answer is yes, then I want you to come.
I want you to come forward if the answer is yes. And I'm waiting. I want to wait for you right here. I want to wait for you. My friend, you can fool me, you can fool Pastor Molina, but you can't fool Christ. You can't fool him. He knows you and he loves you. He loves you so much. This is beautiful. Can we put our hands together in this family? Look at how many people are up the aisles and in the altar. Put your hands together, celebrate that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to lead you in a prayer. And everybody pray after me, if you will. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I repent of my sin. And I ask you today to forgive me and to receive me. Make me a new person. I don't like the way I'm living and I need your help today. I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Give God praise. Hallelujah. 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 I've had the opportunity in, to preach in prisons and in Colorado, we have a lot of them. And I was with the Oklahoma City bomber not, not long ago, just, just months ago. You know, the one that caused that great explosion. I was with a crazy fella out of, out of Montana and I've been in the presence of the shoe bomber. But the Oklahoma City bomber and I were nose to nose, we were this close. And the only thing that was separating us was bars and he kept calling for me to come close after I spoke. And I got to tell you that I was a little bit intimidated to do so. I thought, what is he going to do? Is he going to pull me into the bars? What's he going to do? And I walked up to the bars where he is. And I got as close to where the tips of our nose were touching the Oklahoma City bomber. And I said, yes, sir, how can I help you? And he said, I want you to pray for me. And he tells me these words eye to eye. I could feel his breath on my face. He says, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And here's what he asked me. He said, my son is also in prison. Would you pray for him? And I got to tell you something. That was a powerful day. And I just want to close this thought by telling you this, that people today need Jesus. Whether you're Peyton Manning or an Oklahoma bomber or just an average person like me living in Miami, people need Jesus Christ. Who's going to tell them? If you don't tell them, who's going to tell them? If I don't tell them, who's going to tell them? When Bonnie and I were doing youth ministry, we would do school assemblies and there would be hundreds of schools, big high schools, and we would do our presentation and the principal would say, and don't say nothing about Jesus to me, because he knew me. And we would do message on hope and we would do all these messages that were very positive. 
And during those school assemblies, fellas, it was like an altar call in high schools. Those kids were rushing the altar and many of them were saying, are you Christians? And I would look at them and I would say, we're Christians. Meet us tonight at church. And they would come and they would accept Jesus Christ. And it was a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. And I believe that God wants to touch your city. He does. He wants to touch your city. And he wants to use you. Be foundational. Have roots. Have a backbone. And talk about Christ wherever you go. Hallelujah. Say it with me. I'm, I'm going to count to three and then you say, let's roll. One, two, three. Oh, that's not good enough. Come on. One, two, three. That's a lot better. Let's roll. Let's roll. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, can we do this before you begin to walk out? Let's give a shout to Jesus Christ. Come on. Give the Lord a shout. Would you do that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let the church arise. Hallelujah. 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 My friends, I got to tell you, it was an honor to be here with you. Pastor will come and give direction in just a moment. But it is our honor, absolute honor, to be here with you. You didn't have to listen to me, and you did. And I want to thank you for that. And if you ever come to Pueblo, would you come and eat with us? Please. I love you. I love you very much, Pastor. Amen. Before we leave here today, it would be an injustice. It would be criminal. I don't want to go to jail. I want to hear Bonnie come up and speak and say hello to the congregation. She's the best part of Pastor Steve's life and ministry. And uh, we, we love this couple. And uh, we, you know, they, they've been, I just, just for, for the sake of it, um, in ministry for a long time. Uh, long overdue for this couple to be known in our nation and to have their heart uh, speak on behalf of Christ. Um, and, and so it's just, it's just a joy to have them in Miami and uh, a treat to have them minister in, in the body of Christ here. They have uh, incredible testimonies and, and lifelong uh, faithful servants of the Lord. Um, and so anyways, Bonnie's, I don't know if Steve, you want to introduce her. Um, like he says, she was born in Denver and at a very young age, she was taken to Pueblo. And I said that special delivery was for Steve's sake way before he knew about it. Um, she would be adopted and put in the care of her uncle and aunt who became her parents and raised her up. But, you know, in, in these stories that, that you say, okay, well, how did that happen? And what, listen to me, is all God determined, designed, uh, specified, and she's just the perfect help to Pastor Steve. Uh, and I, I don't know the dynamics of how they grew up and met each other, but, but I do know that they've been in ministry for a long time and, and she's been a wonderful encouragement and help. 
and sweetness just oozes out of her pores in a special manner. She's the right wife and the right mom for their three children. She's the right wife for this pastor. Um, and, and for some reason, there's stigma in Pueblo, Colorado as a blue worker climate and community. And like Pastor Steve said, a lot of struggling, a lot of hardship, a lot of drugs, a lot of uh, crime, uh, but, but precious diamond in the rough, a precious pearl that was being developed through this family and in their ministry. And, and, and ever since we met them in March, um, you know, our hearts knitted together uh, with the purpose of encouragement. These guys are champions, they're the real deal. Yes, I, I would be honored to do so. And Pastor Melina, thank you. I, one of the things I want you to know about Bonnie is she is one of the most private people you will ever meet. So even standing here is uh, that smile that you see. Uh, there's something behind that right now. And uh, although she's very uncomfortable, I would say to you that she is the best mother that I could ever, ever imagine and the best wife, and I love her dearly. Uh, she is my hero. I tell people everywhere we go that if you were to ask me who is your hero, it would be right here. And uh, welcome, my wife. And baby, I want you to tell them real quick, just after you're done speaking, just the story of your brother, if you will, because I think someone would be very encouraged by that. Um, if Thank you were all little children, I would be very comfortable because that is my comfort zone. I teach children, and it's um, and I'm very comfortable one-on-one -on -one talking your ear off, Yvette, last night. I want to thank Pastor and Yvette for the beautiful time that we've been shown here. It, your city's amazing. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I guess um, the thing I'd really have to tell you is that a life lived for God um, is a life that's never dull. It's never wasted. Um, I grew up in a godly family. And I've never wondered um, really much about where I was from until I got older because I had such a beautiful upbringing and we were, my church was very much like this church that I started in, um, always in God's house from a young age and that was my family, that was my life and anything else that happened to me outside of my life of church didn't matter because my core values were here, the people I loved were here, the people who supported me were here. Um, and I just, I, I love your church. I love your pastor and his wife. You guys are beautiful, beautiful people. Um, I guess I'm just going to tell you a quick thing. Um, I wasn't planning on this, but um, so we have four kids in our family. My mom and dad had a, I, I have a brother that's 10 years older and a sister that's nine years older. And when they adopted me, my dad's sister gave me two to her brother. When they adopted me, my mom wanted another child so that I would have someone to play with. So they had my younger brother. He kind of ran, for, since he was little, he ran from the Lord his entire life. I, I remember him being rebellious at a very young age, and I was the goody two-shoes, self-righteous. So God had to deal with me in a different way as I got older. But um, we didn't get along much growing up because he, he was really, really ornery. And I remember for all of my brother's years, my mom praying for him. And as he got older, he got married, um, got into drugs, um, lost his marriage, his kids, everything. And he was so lost. But by then, we had developed a very tight, close relationship. And um, five, about, gosh, it's been already like eight years 
um, eight years ago, he started coming to church with us and God just was really working in his life and he was doing amazing and he was serving God. And then after about three years, he started just going in another direction again. And I would cry and I'd, I'd call him and I'd say, John, don't do this again. Don't do this again to our family. God's been so good to you. How could you walk away from him? You know, um, he's doing a great work in your life. And the day that he left town, God allowed my husband to see him turning away this other direction and he's honking because no one had seen him for three weeks anyway he ends up um, he's doing a drug run and he ends up in a little prison in Pittville Illinois a little jail and he got um, it wasn't even the drugs he got busted for a for a gun and anyway he was looking at 30 years I'm speeding up the story he was looking at 30 years and the first couple years he was there five years um, kept getting delayed any court because of COVID. Everything was constantly delayed. So five years it took God, for God to do this incredible, mighty work of God in his life. Um, he he was on fire for God. They nicknamed him John the Baptist um, Bible they, because he just, he, you saw a true transformation in my brother that we had never seen. He always came back to God. He loved God. He'd go to rehab, but this was something that was undeniably God. Well, just this past September, um, my brother was, God did a miracle. It went from 30 years to eight years and then serving five. He ended up, um, he would have been out now in January or February. But um, my brother in connection, he was, he was in another jail transferring to where he was gonna finish his time out. Um, he was murdered by another prisoner. And um, one of the things that you know, it, it devastated our family because he would have been out now. Um, but his funeral was amazing. They had ex-prisoners um, speaking from the screen from different places, saying what the what my brother did in their life. And, you know, we were sad. We were heartbroken. We don't understand God's ways. I know that God was with him. But the beauty of it is that um, we know where my brother is and the lives that are transformed. And I guess in your congregation, the only thing I'd really ask you for prayer for is two of his boys are not serving God. And they are pretty going down the path he was. And that was his prayer. So I, we have picked up just that little mantle to pray for his boys and with that heart. I guess I'm telling that story to encourage you that my mama prayed for probably 48 years for my brother. And it, I don't know why we have to pray so long sometimes, but her prayers were answered. So if you have anybody like that in your family, um, I can say with confidence and just joy that I was so thankful. At my brother's funeral, I praised God for, get, for saving my brother. So God bless you all today. Gosh, can I share one thing? I, I, before you leave, I, I remember when I was growing up and we'd bring different guests in, you always look like their life was really great and airplanes and hotels and all that stuff but I got to tell you for Bonnie and I our 31 year old son when he was being raised he he was tough he's now a cop I thought there was a day when he'd be locked up and he got involved in some drugs and there was a time and I've never done this and I just want to be very real is that okay I want to be very real and I want to tell you I'm an Assemblies of God preacher. I'm very, very known in our community. Uh, played ball there and grew up there. My parents are known. And if, as a pastor, I had to dial 911 one day when my kid was growing up, Stephen. 
And when you're a pastor in a community and everybody knows who you are, and three cops came flying up our block and into our home, and I had never done that before. I had never been on that side of the fence. And I opened the door and I see these officers and part of me is like, oh God, thank you that you're here. And many of them are walking in saying, hello, Pastor Steve, hello. And I have them in the living room and I got the guns and the radio and you can hear all of that happening. And I remember standing there saying, goodness, what is going on in our family? One of our boys, the younger one, was weeping in his bedroom and he didn't even want to come out. And I just want to say to you all, whatever the need is, God is big enough to meet you. He is. Whatever it is, God will meet you as you trust in Him. And I just feel like as I'm saying that story, that, and Bonnie's speaking of her brother, maybe some of you have some wars going on in your family, and maybe you would raise a hand up and say, would you pray for my family? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, goodness, look at this. Yeah. We've been there. I've breathed that air. I get it. And I want you to know that Jesus can, Jesus can get in there. He'll get in there. Can I pray over you? Lord, I thank you, God, for these precious people. God, they fear you and they love you and they know you. God, whatever is happening in houses or apartments or wherever, Lord, I pray that you would go to work by the power of the Holy Spirit and that, God, you would touch these families, oh God, that lifted their hand to you. God, that you would bring help, Lord, just like you did for us. And, God, that you would touch so, so deep. In Jesus' name, amen. The way that it worked in our house is uh, the only thing I really know is sports and preachers and I put Stephen in front of everybody I knew and when they would leave or I'd leave an office they would Stephen would look at me he's my son he would say dad that guy's a joke and I'm like that's the head college football coach and I'd bring in someone else some motivational guru speaker and Stephen would say that guy's an idiot and then one day, Bonnie and I were out, and a, a doctor, um, who's a former addict, came up and he said, hey, I heard you need some help. He's a believer in Jesus. And they, he showed up at our house with another medical doctor that was also an addict, and they came in our home, and they said, you all stay here, you don't get it, we're going in the basement and two medical doctors walked downstairs and they met with Stephen and I thought this is going to be interesting and they were down there for about an hour to an hour and a half time out of their office and they walked up and one of them said you guys are going to be okay and they left Stephen came up 15 minutes from the basement he said hey dad those guys are the real deal and really what they did is they led him to Jesus is what they did. And it's amazing. I want to close right here. When you trust in the Lord, what God will bring into your house. He's good. He's faithful.
and I just love him. Give him praise, will you? All right, so you guys know that uh, they're precious. Um, this is their first time in Miami, and it's not going to be their last time, in Jesus' name. We, we've tried to offend them like you can't get offended. We took them to the best restaurants. We drove oh, down goodness. to the Keys. We showed them the sights, the sunset, to make sure that their heart stays here super solid and that they come back We're soon. coming. Yeah, they're coming back. Um, and so you never know. God might have them retire in Miami after they've been so long in Pueblo. But let's pray for them to, to continue to stay the course. And uh, they are national leaders in things that concern God. And we thank God for this caliber of servants in the body of Christ. Whenever somebody comes up to you and criticizes a man of God or a woman of God, he says, I know some genuine, authentic, real, down to earth people that love Jesus Christ. And I, I wanna imitate and be an example, follow their example, amen, and honor their life in that regards. Um, now we're gonna go ahead and trust those of you that are gonna start your fast for 21 days. If you're gonna fast these 21 days, according to Daniel, raise your hand at the beginning of the year. I wanna entrust these days that you not gain more weight because a lot of people when they go fasting, they eat so much hummus and so much of the vegetables that they actually gain weight during the fast. We want you to get closer to God and uh, have grace during this time period uh, that you go into afflicting the flesh, the Bible says. You afflict the flesh so that your soul, your spirit is leaner. Father, thank you for these 21 days that Spring of Life will begin to consecrate and set aside for you. We need the grace, Lord. We need you to direct our steps and that we can uh, achieve and accomplish our journey in drawing near to you the first three weeks of the year so that we might see your reward glory and refreshing the remaining uh, 11 months uh, and two weeks Lord we pray that you be glorified we pray that you we can see and hear and draw closer to you in our worship Lord that we might perfect not for men to see not I worship of religiosity performance but the authentic private devotion that honors you even in our rituals, in our service and sacrifice, uh, in our act of worship this year. We entrust the body of Christ at Spring of Life to these next 21 days to seek your face in fast and prayer. In Jesus' name we pray and the house of God says, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.